0: Welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe.
1: Hey, Jonathan. How's it going this week?
0: It is going well. It has been a very busy week. I'm kind of between SBC events. We had the executive committee, which we'll talk about later in the episode, here in town this week in Nashville. A lot going on with that, as well as uh, next week I'll be in Kansas City, with our good friends up at Midwestern for the SBC Symposium.
1: Nice. Are you looking forward to that trip?
0: I'm looking forward to the barbecue.
1: I bet you so, are. I bet you are.
0: And the trip as well. I'm really looking forward to the event, but uh, yeah, the barbecue as well. But um, I've been working with Dr. Rainer as he's preparing his report. We found some fascinating, fascinating things uh, about the history of the SBC just as we're kind of diving into some of these numbers. To these chem- I sent you one today, and we'll mention this here. Uh, We'll talk a little probably um, next week after we can recap the symposium. But in 1929, they found out in 28, but uh, it came out in the 1929 Book of Reports. If you go back and look at the SBC annual from 1929, the Home Mission Board had $900,000 embezzled away from its coffers by the treasurer of the Home Mission Board.
1: That is crazy. Yes.
0: Yes. It equates to $12.6 million in today's money, so just a staggering amount of money uh, that was embezzled. They were able to recover about two-thirds of it, uh, but I had no idea that it happened, but it's just something, Just it's this little footnote in SPC history.
1: What's fascinating about that is whenever you hear things like that in history, whether it's Baptist history, American history, world history, that just to think of all these things that are such can be such a big deal in the moment, and then they're they're going to be a footnote in a hundred yeah. years.
0: Yeah, and, and what what was wild? Nine hundred thousand dollars was more than the annual budget at the Home Mission Board in
1: nineteen twenty eight. That's just crazy. So did it tell? If the guy got like, did he get caught? Did he get arrested? Did he get? I
0: have no anything? idea. I have no. I did not. I did not look that up. I'll have to keep digging on that. Maybe I'll find out some more, and maybe I can report back next week. I can look it up a little bit more. But we got his name. We got information, and uh, it was a uh, quite the staggering uh, news. But yes, that's what I've been doing this week. How about you? I know you've got um, you've got nine marks at Southeastern this weekend.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's uh, kicks up tomorrow. Today, uh, Mark Dever was in Chapel, so it was a a little bit of a preview, but really it, it begins tomorrow and Saturday, uh, goes on, uh, the, you know, all day into the evening tomorrow and then half the day Saturday. So it'll be a, a really busy time around here. And we'll hear a lot of great, uh, great speakers, Mark Dever, of course, Danny Aiken, Ligon Duncan, Mes McConnell, and, uh, some others. Uh, so it'll be a lot of fun. Of course, I'm sad because one of the things that, uh, I enjoy is we, we bring in food trucks for that. Uh, they they come and uh, set up so that people have places to go and it's supposed to start raining tonight and rain for the next like four or five days. So sad times. Uh, we do have a rain plan and the trucks will come, but it just won't be like getting to sit outside and stuff. But
0: Well, that's sad. Will people be able to watch that online? Is that live streamed?
1: Yes, yes, there is a live stream, uh, and we can drop that link into the the show notes. Okay,
0: so sbcthisweek.com, you can watch the live stream, and I'm sure uh, that uh, your guys over at Southeastern will be able to uh, get that up on the archive as well if you catch us at a later date.
1: Oh, absolutely, We are, and we have all the, the past years on. This year is the uh, seventh mark church discipline, so that's kind of the focus of this
0: one. Oh, okay, so you only got two more years? Is that, is that how that works?
1: Two more marks, so we see what comes next. Yeah. But it's the seventh year for us to do this. So
0: so Mark ha, or Mark Dever, that is, has a, about two years to come up with a tenth mark of a healthy church. <laughs> so you can keep having these at Southeastern. So, yes. Because that's the, that's the pure motivation that Just Mark Dever us. has. It's like, yes. I've got to keep having these conferences. We've got to come up with a tenth mark. So yes. I, I didn't realize Mez. I knew Mez McConnell was in the States. I didn't realize he was in the States for this. That's exciting. Uh, Mez and I go back and forth on Twitter about uh, English Premier League football. So, Oh,
1: fun. fun. Yeah, well, I, I hear he's quite the character, so I'm, yes. I'm looking forward to, to hearing from him.
0: Well, Amy, I'm looking forward to catching some of that live stream at 9 Marks at Southeastern. Uh, I encourage everybody, if you have some time this weekend, some downtime between football games or whatever, check out the live stream from, from Southeastern. We'll have that link on the website. All right, now let's jump into the big news of the week. Uh, other than the SBC Executive Committee meeting, and that's the major reorganization at Florida Baptist uh, Convention, that reduces the number of employees statewide by forty-seven percent to sixty-one employees from the one hundred and fifteen that are currently employed in Florida.
1: Yeah, this is this is huge, um, Tommy Green. You know, he he stepped in and he immediately said, "We're going to go." uh right away we're gonna send fifty one percent uh of the CP budget near almost a ten percent increase and we're gonna focus completely on getting missionaries on the field. But you know that tough things have to happen for you to do that. And he hasn't really wasted any time in leading out on this. And this is this is part of the result of that.
0: Yeah, because I, I think it was right before the SBC annual meeting in June that we found out he was going to be the next executive director. I mean, it was right as we started this podcast in late May, first part of June, that that news broke. And then, you know, right. three months, ninety days, hundred days, we've already seen this major thing. He's like, "Hey, we're going to do it. We're going to do it now." It's and time to do it. Yeah, there's no wasting time because, well, at the same time, they're looking at budgets because that'll be approved in October, November for at the state annual meeting. I think their state annual meeting is around November 10th or so. So, you know, they've got to get their state budget together now for 2016. So if, right. if you don't do the reorganization now, then you're budgeting for 2016, which is totally different. And he's said, you know, we're going to do it. So kudos to Tommy Green, again, uh, leading leading quickly in Florida. And uh, it'll be yeah. interesting to see how this shapes up. They They reorganized everything as well, decentralized the staff. So a lot of moving parts in Florida right now.
1: Right. And and I think it's important to remember, I mean, this is dealing with people and so I know this is not always an easy thing. And we can support it, we can know that it's the right thing and we can also recognize uh that that it's it's really tough. And so, you know, I admire Tommy Green that he's willing and able to do it and I I trust it that Tommy Green is he's going to lead well throughout the whole process, and uh, so it'll it'll be interesting to see what happens next.
0: Another follow up story: the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities uh, have had two more members resign, and actually, these are the two members who caused the first two members to resign their membership. Eastern Mennonite University and Goshen College have resigned their membership in the CCCU
1: it's been a debate that's been going on. Obviously union had stepped away and uh, Oklahoma Wesleyan, I believe had stepped down as well. And so it was over these two Mennonite schools that were, they had these positions that they said, if there were professors in same sex marriages uh, that they, they were permitted to continue to be there and uh, at, at the school. So, you know, this huge reaction began with uh, Union University. And now as, as they're trying to figure out what's next, this, the council is debating this, as expecting that more people might do the same thing. At some point, these two schools, Eastern Mennonite and Goshen, they said, we're going to step away. Uh, and they actually said, in order to spare significant division, so that's you know that's what uh, what they they were trying to decide I think if they should be moved these these pl- schools should be moved to affiliate status, but that's off the table. They have voluntarily stepped away,
0: yeah, kind of just fell on their sword there, and uh, that issue is uh kind of passed for now. I'm sure this will not be the last time that the cCCU faces something like this. What will be interesting now is to see if Union and Oklahoma Wesleyan will rejoin some sad news a couple of uh deaths to report on this week. Diana Garland, former dean of the Carver School of Church Social Work at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, passed away this week. She's survived by her husband. David Uh, knows a lot of people that are involved in ESPC, so our condolences out to the Garland family.
1: Yeah, and uh, another one, Phyllis Bennett, which is, is probably not a name that's known to a lot of people in circles now, but her husband was Harold Bennett, who had been the president treasurer of the SBC executive committee from 79 to 92 and interestingly they were also part of starting uh, two churches one of them being Two Rivers Baptist Church really? in Nashville yes fascinating uh, so yeah when they uh, were were there in Nashville and so she passed away at age 90 this week
0: and her well. husband would have been the predecessor to Morris Chapman at the executive committee correct
1: uh, that's correct. Okay. Yes. All so.
0: right. Well,
1: but seventy nine and ninety two. Those they were they were part of that leadership for a very long time. Yeah, so.
0: those were turbulent times in the SBC for sure. And mm-hmm. condolences out to the Bennett family as well. Now, big news of the week as well. We talked about earlier the executive committee, and to be on the executive committee, you have to be nominated by the committee on committees and other committees, I guess committee on nominations and all that, which Ronnie Floyd, president of the SBC, is seeking uh, nominees for that. We have a link at com to the information for that. So if you know somebody who would be a good candidate for the SBC committee on ca- committees and nominating committee and all the other committees, um, there are links at com for that information. It outlines all the requirements and you know legalese that goes into that so uh, those are available online.
1: Check it out and there are a lot of Qualifications. There are tons of people out there that fulfill them. I think the toughest one to fill is the one that says you have to have been a resident member for at least three years geographically within a particular state or affiliated with the convention of a state. And that's tough because people move yeah, all the people time. People move a lot so. these
0: days. That's gonna be a yeah, an issue, I think, moving forward. We're gonna have a tough time with that in the SBC, I think, yep. as as populations get more and more transient.
1: Yes, but remember that as you're looking at those qualifications, and uh, definitely send those send those nominations forward.
0: Yes, and also we mentioned that the executive committee uh, meeting was this week. We live tweeted it on the SBC this week Twitter handle. If you're not following us, follow us on Twitter at SBC this week. Uh, but anything jump out at you uh, over the week?
1: Yeah, no, I was I was mainly kind of following what you were sending on Twitter and uh, and things, and I would just kind of track whenever certain. Heads were, entity heads were speaking on things, but obviously the one that got the most attention from outside of that room was David Platt because Twitter kind of blew up after that one. And you just knew uh, before that, what you really saw was just kind of pictures of what was happening in the room, a quote here or there. But when David Platt gave his report, um, it it was everywhere.
0: Yes, it was. Uh, and it, it was interesting because he read basically a prepared statement and a written report and read it with such fervor, it was it was like he was preaching, and uh, it was a it was a moving moment. Uh, you know, it's kind of one of those things where he, he's he's in a very difficult position with difficult decisions that the IMB is making, and really really handling it well. Uh, it, it would be hard pressed for someone to sit in that room and not be encouraged by the leadership that David Platt is showing at the IMB. Doctor Floyd in his presentation called for us to meet in St. Louis and uh, elaborated on the Haystack prayer meeting. He's calling uh, for a, a great awakening again this year. Awaken America is the, uh, the theme for the SBC annual meeting in June in St. Louis. Uh, in 2016, he debuted a video for that. We've got that on the website. We have the information for the St. Louis annual meeting, as well as the, the hotels open up soon. So if you're going yes, to St. Louis, October 1st you've got to get ready, get those hotels this Thursday. Uh, That's coming up, if you're listening to this on the 25th, when it drops, it'll be about six days away for you to get those hotels whenever they open up. I know that's, for us um, that work at the Entities, that's always a a hectic time because we're trying to block off all our rooms that we need for all our employees that go to those. But uh, the big news, like I said, was David Platt on Monday night, just a phenomenal job, uh, just just knocked it out of the park. I mean, it was was inspiring, it was encouraging, it was informative, uh, and it was transparent. So that was encouraging, and uh, there were four pieces of business from this Columbus meeting that were referred to the executive committee. They declined the motion to require cooperative program giving amount or percent in nominating, percentage, or in nominating speeches. They declined the motion for nominees of, for office to have to uh, give a speech about themselves instead of just having a nominating speech. Somebody had made a motion to let the actual candidate speak and their reasoning on that was, well, the candidates can nominate themselves, so if they want to speak, they can. And we've seen a candidate nominate himself uh a few years ago. Um, Wiley Drake nominated himself for either second or first vice president, I think, a few years ago. So Yeah. And and I saw today, Amy, news that Wiley Drake is also running for president. Did did I see that correctly?
1: Uh yes, you did, and uh that's uh, actually it's not that surprising uh, he has Well he called Ronnie for, Floyd
0: to run for president earlier this year.
1: He did, he did, but that motion was out of order, so <laughs> <since> <laughs>
0: to Ronnie's delight I think.
1: Right. So since that couldn't happen, um he I guess has decided to run himself. He did run for vice president a few years ago and uh was you know, did did not really even make it to the general election in that particular time, but he's going to try again for the top of the ticket.
0: They also addressed a motion that was, uh, calling on the Southern Baptist convention to address the moral decay in America, basically pointed to Baptist press and everything that Baptist press puts out, uh, as, as the response to that, that, you know, we're, we're doing our part through what we do with Baptist press and also, uh, issued a appreciation resolution for Michael Proctor and his service as the executive director in Alaska. So just a few small items of business that they did. And one of the big items of business, I guess you could say, was a resolution calling for churches to give more to the cooperative program in light of the recent IMB uh, financial shortfall.
1: Yeah, that's something that people have been sort of calling for and asking in recent days. So they just, I think, formalized that with a resolution as they were gathering.
0: They did. Uh, Another thing that they uh, talked about, Dr. Floyd brought out this week, was Engage 24, which is going to be a day of gospel conversations. He's encouraging everyone to share the gospel on October the 15th. This is a big emphasis on college campuses as well, so you can find out more about that at SBC this week, and we've got a link to that. And uh, one piece of news that was mentioned in David's report, and he'll mention it in the interview just now, is the IMB transition team. Amy, tell us about that.
1: The IMB's announced a specific transition team that will just focus on helping these missionaries who do accept the voluntary retirement incentive uh, that's been offered and so it's really just focusing on what the practical needs are, helping uh, bridge the the um, the gap or build that connection between the missionaries on the field and the churches back here that will help them uh, get sort of reacclimated. They're obviously they you know they may have to sell homes they you know they don't have homes over here necessarily. So a team has been appointed specifically to help this just to focus on practical stuff.
0: Yes, and Clyde Metter is running that with the assistance of some IMB personnel. The WMU is also involved in that because they kind of have the database for housing, stateside housing. So WMU is working with them to uh, find those houses that may be available. And if you have information or have a, a house or jobs or anything like that and get in touch with the transition team and help them out. So as we mentioned previously, Been looking forward to this. David Platt was our guest this week on SBC This Week. Today we're joined by Dr. David Platt, the president of the International Mission Board. This week we've had executive committee meetings here in Nashville. You've uh, talked a lot. You gave a report there the other night. And we're able to explain some of the decisions that the IMB has made a little bit more. You're able to more fully explain a lot of the decisions. Uh, You know, press releases can only do so much a lot of times. Uh, but one of the things you talked about was the three reasons that y'all gave for not sending or not stopping the sending of missionaries. And could you kind of go over that? Because that's been one of the, I think, one of the big questions is like, you know, why not a hiring freeze? Why not this? But you have great reasons for why not.
2: Yeah, that has been one of the most common questions. So why are we uh, reducing the number of missionaries that are on the field now, but not totally freezing the number of new missionaries? and uh The reasons are many. Uh, One, we really have wanted to make this a voluntary process uh, at this point. So we are asking all 5,250 people who are a part of the IMB right now to Go before the Lord and say, Lord, are you leading me to make a transition in light of some of the financial realities we're facing and uh, and to ask him and to seek him. And we've already made commitments for 2015, 2016. And so we didn't want to take that voluntary choice away from them as well. We really just – so we're giving them an opportunity, those who we've committed to, to say uh, – is, is the Lord leading you to go for sure? And if, if so, just like we want people who believe the Lord is leading them to stay, to stay, we want those who believe the Lord is leading them to go, to, to go. Um, and we really believe that every type of missionary in the IMB is important. So young and old, staff and support uh, is important. Uh, those who are leading out full-time church planters uh, on the field are important. Seasoned missionaries, new missionaries, they're all important. There's not a type of person in the IMB that's not important. If we were to stop uh, sending new missionaries right now or over the next year, two, three, and within three years, we would have no more journeymen, no more apprentices on the field. We would have cut our, uh, our whole pipeline of missionaries and then the effect of that on churches. I mean, we are fundamentally a missionary sending organization, which means the, the more people we send, the more churches we're serving. And the less people we send, the less churches we're serving. If we were to cut that all together, it would sever our pipeline to churches and our relationship with churches. We're already sending far less than we did uh, 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we sent 383 people uh, in 2005 uh, full-time um, and long-term. Today, uh, it's about 125. So that's that's about two-thirds less people today than we were a decade ago. So all that to say, we we want to not just continue to send even the small number we're sending now, but we want to think through with churches how we can send multitudes more in the days to come once we get. That's part of the whole point is how can we get to a, a healthy financial place in the present in order to be able to go into a future where, Lord willing, multitudes of new missionaries uh, will be joining seasoned missionaries around the world for the spread of the gospel of the unreached.
0: In the initial release, you mentioned that this was not a gospel drawdown uh, globally, and you know, we, you're still sending people as well. But can you explain how the bringing people home, shoring up the finances— is not a gospel drawdown, and actually is you know kind of preparing you to what you've called you know sending limitless
2: missionaries in the future. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting question because I, when I saw there was a, a headline that said no gospel drawdown, and I looked throughout the article, there was never one point where I said that, and so I want to be clear: like there is an effect. I have no idea where the headline came from. There is on effect when when six to 800 people in the IMB, now that includes staff in the United States as well as people on the field, but when there's that many less people, uh, spreading the gospel around the world to the unre- to unreached people, there's an effect. Now, the big picture, though, is that this is this is not the IMB in any way retreating from saying we want to get the gospel of the unreached. It's saying we've got to be in a healthy position financially, organizationally, in order to be able to move forward in the future, running after the nations with the gospel, Lord willing, with multitudes more people. So I grieve uh, continually over the, the, the reality of people leaving the field uh, right now uh, or and the effect of that on the spread of the gospel in places where there was a witness that six months from now there won't be the same witness but I'm trusting and believing and praying that God's going to fill in that gap in all sorts of different ways Lord willing with nationals national followers of Christ in many of those places who will take up the mantle of ministry and leadership in a way that maybe they'd not before and then that in the days to come once we get to a healthier financial place that he's going to send multitudes more into those places for the spread of the gospel.
0: When we talk about missionaries, a lot of people have pictures in their head of the missionaries that they know that do a one certain type of missionary work or missions work overseas. What are the different types of missionary work that the IMB
2: has overseas? Hmm. That's a great question. I do think, just kind of hitting at the question, uh, there's a limited paradigm that we often have when we think of missionaries, because we think of that one person we know or one type of person. And yet when we look in scripture, we see a variety of of different types of people involved in the mission. One of the things we're uh, walking through right now is just a, a healthy understanding in the IMB of a missionary team where different people have different roles. So you got Paul, for example, who's the lead church planner, who's leading in, with all the gifts that he's got and the ways that he is, but then he's surrounded by people who are traveling with him and are working with him for the spread of the gospel as they go. And I want us to see in the church, in the IMB, the different gifts that are needed in the body and the different roles that are involved on a missionary team in the spread of the gospel. So ultimately, a missionary team is all about making disciples and multiplying churches. We want to see disciples made. We want to gather them together in the churches, and we want uh, disciples living out the spread of the gospel through churches going after the nations. So we want that. That's what IMB is laser focused on seeing happen, making disciples and multiplying churches among unreached peoples and places. But we want to cultivate teams of people where different people are playing different roles in that task.
0: Are there be any types of missions that would be more of a priority for the IMB that maybe haven't been in the past?
2: I don't know about types of missions. I think the laser focus on making disciples and multiplying churches, I think maybe where uh, a big shift uh, is coming that we've got to think through as the church, not just the IMB, but the IMB when it comes to unreached peoples is how do we How do we leverage the God-given opportunities that are available to us around the world for the spread of the gospel? What I mean by that is we have, again, this sometimes limited paradigm of a missionary that says, okay, that's somebody who leaves their job and moves to another place for the spread of the gospel, which is... Absolutely true, and the Lord leads many people to do that, and we will continue to send people through the IMB who are doing exactly that and go deep in language and culture in different parts of the world and are freed up to be full-time focused on church planning among unreached people. At the same time, uh, we've got a limited ability to send that type of person. That's part of the process we're walking through right now as the IMB because we have a, a a cap on our ability to send that type of person and so we we want to continue to send that type of person we want that person to be surrounded by all sorts of other people who not just leave who may not just leave their job to go for the spread of the gospel but actually may leverage their job for the spread of the gospel so when i think type of missionary think yes the full-time church planner has left his job but then also think the business professional or the doctor the teacher the engineer um whatever domain it might be, somebody using the arts or whatever it might be in different places in the world. And the opportunities that we have to work around the world are limitless. And so to take advantage of those opportunities and to go work alongside those who are doing full-time church planning and together, again, on missionary teams, different roles, different responsibilities, but all saying, we are working for the spread of the gospel to those who've never heard it.
0: You you mentioned the that there's different types of missionaries and you're wanting to send those different types. Is that a response mainly because of the the changes in geopolitical nature of the world, the global church practices, cultural landscapes, how they have changed? You know, we, we can't just send one type anymore. We've got to be multifaceted. Do we need to update our tactics and methodology as we, we do missions?
2: You know, I think uh, the whole picture is a response not to— uh, any particular trend in the world, it's more a response to what we see in the Word, in Scripture. From the very beginning, we see ordinary people spreading the gospel. I mean you, you look at the church at Antioch, it was everyone except the apostles who were scattered from Jerusalem in Acts chapter eight. So it was it wasn't the apostles. It wasn't what we would think what we think of as the as the leaders. It was Everybody else was scattered from Jerusalem, preaching the gospel wherever they went. And as they did, uh, Acts chapter 11 says they founded the church at Antioch, which became one of the greatest mission-sending churches in the history of Christianity. And it wasn't founded by people we even know. We don't even know their names. And so that's the picture. So we see that in Scripture, and then we see even in, in Christian history when the Moravians, for example, were spreading the gospel around the world, one out of ninety two of them, uh, some say one out of fifty eight but were crossing cultures for the spread of the gospel. but they weren't doing it because they were all fully supported, fully financed missionaries. It's because they were working in other cultures for the spread of the gospel. Some of them were even selling themselves into slavery. They would see a slave ship headed to this country, and they'd say, well, "I'm going to become a slave in order to get the gospel to that country and so so and that was before all the globalization of today's marketplace that we've seen now. And so all the more so, yes, in light of trends toward urbanization and trends in globalization, but based on biblical precedent and patterns and the history of the church, we've got to be aggressive and intentional about leveraging every opportunity God has opened up in the world for the spread of the gospel to those who've never heard it.
0: With being aggressive and being intentional, is, is that— one way to measure the effectiveness of a missionary, like how do you qualify a an effective missionary?
2: Effectiveness is primarily faithfulness. So, to to to, to be faithful in proclaiming the gospel and building bridges uh, to, the gov- to the gospel. In different cultures in the world, taking where people are with their worldviews, getting to know their language and culture and customs, and building bridges for them to understand the gospel, and then sharing the gospel with them, uh, leading them to become followers of Christ. In other words, make disciples of Jesus, teach them to obey everything Christ has commanded us to gather them together in churches, uh, help raise up leaders in those churches, and then from those churches, send out people to continue the task where there's no church. And so that fundamental task, all that I just described, is the work of missions uh, among unreached people and so we so what makes an effective missionary then it's faithfulness to that task and and trusting that in God's timing faithfulness will bring fruitfulness um, so we want to look for fruit but we don't manufacture fr- fruit we're faithful and we trust in a John 15 way that he's he's going to bear his fruit through us when we're faithful to do what he's told us to do
0: with the talk of the IMB financial and the the revenue shortfalls over the past couple of years, what do you anticipate uh, the budgetary needs for the IMB to be to fulfill what you have in mind for
2: what the IMB needs to become? Hmm. Well, my my hope is that uh, churches in the days to come – give all the more sacrificially and generously for the spread of the gospel to the nations. And we're coming up on our, our big offering at the end of this year, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and I'm praying that, that the church will, will see some of these realities and will respond with generous and sacrificial giving, believing in a future of sending Uh, yes, an army of full-time, fully supported church planters around the world who are surrounded by all kinds of uh, students and professionals and retirees who are leveraging other means for the spread of the gospel around the world, that that particularly among Southern Baptist churches, we would see the opportunity that it's before us to see an ever-increasing mission force around the world in the days to come so that even this news now would not in any way inhibit generous sacrificial giving. but It would just fuel that kind of giving. And, and what I want to lead the IMB to do is be completely responsible and wise with every dollar entrusted to us, uh, which means right now we've got to get to a point where we're operating within our budget, within the dollars that have been entrusted to us. And then in the days to come, leveraging every single resource for the most wise, most faithful, and in that sense, most effective means for getting the gospel to those who've never heard it.
0: Aside from the finances, what is the biggest challenge facing
2: you at IMB right now? I think the biggest challenge, and it's certainly over and above finances. I mean, there is an adversary in the world who hates everything we are and everything we do in the IMB, and he is working to keep the gospel from getting to people who 've never heard it he 's held them in blindness for generations and for centuries and uh, he he doesn 't want the gospel to get to them and so when you look at current events in the world and you see well i mean my My perspective certainly changed when I stepped in this role and I realized that all the headlines I see in the news every morning of bombings here or attacks there or this war here or there, these are places where most of these places we have our people from our churches who are serving there for the spread of the gospel and so this is never going to be easy it's never it's not going to be easy now and it's not going to be easy in the future and so my hope is that in the imb and and fundamentally in the heart of the churches that the imb serves that there will be a resolute uh aim and desire and commitment to do whatever it takes, even when it's not easy, to get the gospel to those who've never heard it. So what what are the easy ways for churches to get involved right now? Fundamentally, uh, I ask churches to pray for the IMB, pray for brothers and sisters across the IMB who are um, Considering is the Lord leading me to make transitions? So just pray for wisdom for them um, and for the Spirit's leadership in all of this. Certainly, pray for wisdom in me and other leaders as well. So, so pray, give. I, I do want to ask churches to give generously and sacrificially so that we can. We, so this. Need to pull down uh, our mission force, what can be curbed and stopped, and then we can reverse that and think through how to send more. And then, in, in particular, as some of our folks are, are coming off the field, I'm so thankful for the way churches and state conventions and seminaries and others are, are thinking through creative ways to help with housing for them. For I mean, these are people who have spent, in many cases, decades overseas, and so now they're looking at transition back to the United States like, where do I start? And we want to connect them with churches where they can serve for the spread of the gospel so i mean that i mean that could be vocationally that could be in uh church staff opportunities um or non-vocationally just working here but these are brothers and sisters who are trained to uh to spread the gospel across cultures and you think about all the unreached peoples that are represented even here in the united states i'm praying that god's going to redeploy a force of people from uh living in the nations to working for the spread of the gospel among the nations from here. And so uh, if anybody, if any pastor or church leader um, has And and then there's practical needs in all of that. There's needs for housing and uh, cars and and logistics and just helping people uh, get integrated back into life and ministry in the United States. So we've set up a whole transition team uh, that is helping make those connections between churches and missionaries. So if anybody has any connections along those lines or things that they would say, here's a way we could serve some missionaries um, who are coming uh, back to the United States, then transitionteam at imb.org is where I would point people to, and we're trying to make as many connections as possible along those lines
0: yeah we've got all the information for that at the website uh sbc this week uh david we appreciate you being here appreciate you taking the time to talk to us and uh, blessings on everything in the future for the imb
2: thanks jonathan
1: thanks jonathan and uh, dr platt that was a a great opportunity to just hear from him at get some questions and and it's great conversation
0: All right, some other news around the convention, just to kind of tie up, some loose ends. This past week in Louisville, Kentucky, more than 400 people gathered for a symposium on biblical sexuality in the black church. It was held at Forest Baptist Church. Um, We mentioned more than 400 people in attendance, really talking about the sexual ethics in the African-American church, something that we don't hear a lot about in the SBC as it relates specifically to the black church.
1: Yes, and another conference that was also happening in Louisville uh, recently is the Fuller Center at Southern Seminary had a conference on uh, Christian persecution historically. So they uh, just brought people together. I know Nathan Finn was there, and uh, several other historians came to talk Talk about this. This was the ninth uh, conference, ninth annual conference that the Andrew Fuller Center for Baptist Studies has done.
0: And finally, in the news items, the ERLC trustee meeting was about a week and a half ago. Uh, News came out uh, from that this week, and they bestowed the John Leland Religious Liberty Award on civil rights leader John Perkins, and theologian J.I. Packer received the Richard Land Distinguished Service Award. Uh, from the ERLC. The RLC trustees also approved an operating budget of $4.08 million, a slate of new officers, and responded to a motion from Ben Chandler, who was, ironically, my local association missionary whenever I lived in Alabama.
1: Connections everywhere. I'm telling There's you. Six degrees of separation.
0: Yes. So that leads us now to this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds.
1: And I, I know you are just waiting to find out what happened. Well, this week in SBC history in 1949 was the beginning of the Los Angeles Crusade, the first major evangelistic campaign of Billy Graham.
0: This is the one.
1: This is the one, yes. The it one started. That,
0: that the Los Angeles Times went and covered and yes. it was like, make Billy big.
1: Yes. It started on September 25th, 1949. And uh, it wasn't the first crusade he had done. He had done some other ones. Uh, Some of them had completely fallen flat. Uh, But this one, it was scheduled to last for three weeks. And uh, it was extended to eight weeks. 350,000 people uh, heard Billy Graham by the end of all that and 3,000 of them made the decision to convert to Christianity. And this was the crusade that made him a national figure in the United States. Um, what, what's interesting to me about this is, you know, as I've said before, I did not uh, grow up Southern Baptist, was not raised in, in the, the, um, the tradition Southern Baptist Church. And so when I became Southern Baptist, I was 23 years old, I did not know anyone, did not, had never heard of Adrian Rogers, Jerry Vines, all these people that we talk about a lot, we know. I had never heard of them, but the one Southern Baptist I had heard of was Billy Graham. Um, and his, his influence, uh, just obviously, as we know, is worldwide. And, uh, and, and he's made such an impact everywhere. And uh, it all started this week in SBC history.
0: So that crusade, there's a little, a little more ties to this. That crusade was massive for a lot of reasons. I mean, you just listed all those. But Louis Zamperini, of unbroken fame, was saved at that crusade.
1: That's right. Yes.
0: Yeah, they had a circus so tent that held six thousand people, and the tent yep. was enlarged to nine thousand and was still too small. That is just absolutely amazing.
1: Yeah. It's pretty incredible. So, have you ever been to a Graham Crusade?
0: I have not. My wife worked one while she was in seminary um, yeah. at Southwestern. She worked one, and that was in the fall, I guess, of two thousand and two, mm-hmm. in Fort Worth or Dallas, probably. I think it was at uh, Texas Stadium in Dallas or in Arlington, I guess, where that is uh, yeah. the old the old Cowboys Stadium, Irving, Texas. That's where that is. And uh, she worked that. I did not, though, because I was in Hattiesburg.
1: He came to Louisville and I'd never seen anything like it.
0: Yes. Dr. Rainer was uh, his, his guy there or whatever yeah. in that Louisville crusade. He's got pictures all over his office and everything. So yeah,
1: uh, we, we went to that crusade for two nights. I'd never seen anything like it, but the thing that actually stuck with me is uh, that my church uh, had a, there was a gentleman that was uh, converted, gave his life to Christ at that crusade. And when they were, counseling, the church they connected him with was ours. And he, uh, he was a faithful member came and I loved talking to him. And I just, he was kind of a face for me as I saw all those people walking forward, uh, that, that gentleman was a, a face for me of a, a person, a heart that was changed through that. So.
0: Very cool. And that was 50 years, almost probably after 50 plus years, after this yeah, revival meeting in Los Angeles. One. Yep, it was. Wow. Well, fascinating stuff. Thanks, Amy, for that segment. Now let's move on to resources of the week. My resource this week is Ministry in the New Marriage Culture, edited by Jeff Orge. It's a new book out by B&H on all the issues that are facing marriage right now. He talked about it in his report the other day at the executive committee. So that is my resource of the week.
1: Nice. Uh, My resource of the week is a book by um, Sally Clarkson, who is out in Colorado and uh, does a lot of ministry to women um, specifically in the areas of motherhood, but uh, really in, uh, in other areas too. And she wrote a book called own your life um, this year. And I just finished it and actually wrote a review of it at Southeastern's women's life blog this week. So um, we're going to drop that link into SBC this week. It's, it's really just there for, uh, Women who are balancing a lot of things in life and uh, great encouragement, kind of linking our identity to the gospel.
0: I didn't know you were writing for the women's blog over there. That's very cool.
1: Oh, I do every now and then. They reach out to uh, people who work, uh, those of us who work on campus, uh, faculty wives, things like that. Who so, runs
0: that for y'all?
1: Uh, Leslie Hildreth is kind of the main person who runs that in the women's life office.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I, I do not know job. Leslie, but uh, maybe I'll meet her when I'm there in the spring.
1: Maybe you will.
0: All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. I'm going to be at the SBC Symposium on the campus of Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Looking forward to that next week. Amy, you'll be holding down the fort there in Wake Forest.
1: Wake Forest, North Carolina. Absolutely. I think uh, we'll we'll see how I am after the supposed to be about five days of rain here. So tropical storm, I think. Really? Okay. uh, it, It is affecting us. So...
0: All right. Well, if you will be at the symposium, look me up, say hello. Love to meet you. Uh, Hit us up on Twitter at SBC This Week and on Facebook, and we will see you next week.
1: See you next week.